I'm your host, Amanda Dave. I'm podcasting from the home of the College World Series in Warren Buffett, Omaha, Nebraska. This is a pediatrician and training podcast, a resource for medical students and residents, and I'm your host. Uh, just a brief introduction, I'm a first-year pediatrics resident at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. I went to Tulane University in New Orleans for my undergraduate degree, and I received my medical degree from Creighton University School of Medicine. This podcast will cover high-yield topics, as well as interviews with pediatricians and pediatric subspecialists. So this is episode three of the podcast. Uh, the first episode kind of went into evaluation of the newborn, and the second one was pediatric pain management. Uh, I've kind of transitioned from using a MacBook over to Audacity uh, on PC, so we'll see how this goes. If anybody has questions or suggestions for podcast uh, content, please email me at amandamerildave at gmail.com. All right, so today we're going to talk about drowning and heat-related injuries. Uh, in high school and college, I was a lifeguard as well as a lifeguard instructor, so I think that preventing drowning injuries and heat-related injuries is super important. I think it's also imperative for the general pediatrician or pediatrics resident to be able to discuss this with parents uh, as these are preventable injuries. So let's talk about drowning. So prevention, as I said before, is the most important step as well as early initiation of CPR at the scene. Now for a pediatrician or pediatrics resident, you won't necessarily be at the scene, but it could be that you're at the pool during the summer and you kind of still need to be able to act. This is different. Drowning is different from cold water immersion. In uh, cold water immersion, the victim stays afloat, their head's above water, and it's really about the cold temperature of the water, which is less than 15 to 20 degrees Celsius or 59 to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. So kind of the etiology of drowning is exposure to water hazard increases your risk. Uh, majority, 71%, are less than when you're old, and this happens in the bathtub. The highest rates of drowning uh, occur in the U.S. South. So in terms of etiology, if there's a lapse in adult supervision for around five minutes, especially in school-age kids, that this happens in lakes, uh, whether they're swimming or boating. In adolescence, uh, the majority of drowning uh, events occur with males. It's about 80%. It may be due to alcohol use or an increase in risk-taking behavior. In the United States, bathtubs and pools or spas are the location where most drowning incidents occur. In the developing world, this includes ponds, ditches, and watering holes. Now, always be on alert. If the history changes or is inconsistent with the developmental age, be on alert that it may be an intentional injury. Uh, so a child will present vertically, pumping their arms up and down. Uh, a lot of times, drowning victims drown silently. So uh, in the movies, they'll talk about or they'll have video of this kid who's just like yelling and screaming, but in reality, drowning victims are pretty silent. The kids will struggle for 10 to 20 seconds, and adolescents will struggle for 30 to 60 seconds before they submerge. Uh, so when you're at the pool with your with your kids or if you're hanging out and you see someone who's struggling, uh, you'll just kind of see them pumping their arms up and down. Now, some injuries that can re result from uh, drowning include anoxic ischemic injury. So the panic incurs, water enters the hypopharynx, uh, triggering laryngospasm, hypoxia and medullary depression lead to terminal apnea. There's a decreased cardiac output and oxygen delivery leads to uh, circulatory failure as well as pulse, pulseless electrical activity or PEA. So in terms of the common cause of mortality and morbidity in drowning victims, CNS injury is the most common cause. With respect to pulmonary injuries, uh, if they, a child or an adolescent aspirates, so pulmonary aspiration of a small amount of fluid, this occurs in the majority of drowning victims. Uh, what's aspirated it can affect the clinical course, whether it's gastric contents, pathogenic organisms, or toxic chemicals. In management of a drowning patient, you'll have, uh, it depends on the duration of submersions, 
uh, how speedy they were rescued, and the effectiveness of resuscitative efforts. The effectiveness of CPR resuscitative efforts is very, very important. Now, if there's minimal resuscitation at the scene and the kid regains consciousness and respirations, you transport to the emergency department for evaluation and observations. Now, if it's aggressive or prolonged resuscitation, uh, there's a high risk for multi-organ system complications or failure. You're going to monitor the ABCs uh, while in route, and then you're going to transfer to the emergency department and probably pick you for care. Now, in terms of resuscitative efforts, don't do abdominal thrust for fluid removal. You want to protect the C-spine with potential neck injuries. Uh, once admitted to the emergency department or the PICU, all need to be observed for about four, six to eight hours minimum. You want to do serial monitoring of vitals as well as their oxygenation. And kids with uh, elevated intracranial pressure will usually have poor outcomes. So it kind of goes back to that anoxic uh, ischemic injuries that I discussed pre previously. Uh, as well as the prognosis is very bimodal. So sometimes kids, if they've had early intervention and they've been resuscitated uh, successfully, they'll do very well. As uh, In contrast, kids that uh, have delayed resuscitation and have ischemic injuries to their brain will not necessarily do as well. Okay, so now we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about heat-related injuries. Now, I know a lot of the listeners will be like, Omaha, that doesn't get hot there, but in reality, it does get crazy hot in the summers here and really humid. Uh, but nationwide, heat-related injuries are pretty important to be aware of, especially for kids in clinic. Um, in the summer when sports are doing their pre-training events, you want to discuss maintaining hydration for kids uh, just because heat-related injuries can be pretty uh, devastating. So with respect to dehydration, you want to make sure that the kids are drinking every 20 minutes or so during exercise. Uh, it's approximately 5 ounces for those weighing 40 kilos, 9 ounces for 60 kilos, and 10 to 12 ounces for those weighing greater than 60 kilos. Heat-related injuries are the third leading cause of death in U.S. high school athletes. There's a continuum of clinical signs from heat stress, mild, to heat stroke fatal, and I'll kind of discuss uh, the spectrum of that. Kids have a greater ratio of surface area to body mass, so they produce greater heat per kilogram during activity. Kids also have a lower sweat rate, and the temperature at which sweating starts is higher. Uh, kids also take longer to acclimatize to higher temperatures. So with respect to the cl clinical continuum, so heat cramps are pretty common. Uh, it's associated with mild dehydration plus minus salt depletion. This will happen with calf or hamstring muscles. Well, they'll just feel like they're cramping up. In terms of management, uh, this response responds pretty well to oral rehydration with electrolytes and gentle stretching, return to play when not impaired. With respect to heat exhaustion, kids will present with dizziness, tachycardia, headaches, nausea, vomiting, sweating, and their core temp will be greater than 104. Management for this is removed remove from play. Uh, you want to put them in a cool environment with fans, ice over their groin or axilla, and if they can't tolerate oral rehydration, they'll need to be transferred to a facility for intravenous uh, fluid resuscitation. Heat stroke is a medical emergency and you have to call 911. So in that, the kid will present with hot, dry skin. Uh, their temperature will be greater than 104. They'll potentially have multiple system failure as well as abnormal vitals. With respect to management, you're gonna do whole body cooling, cold water immersion, monitor ABCs, uh, as well as fluids at 800 milliliters per meter squared in the first hour with normal saline or LR. There's some contention on that, but kind of refer to what your facility does with respect to heat stroke. Uh, heat syncope is when a kid will faint after prolonged exercise. It's a scene with poor, motor va uh, poor vasomotor tone and depleted intravascular volume. Management will include fluids, cooling, and supine positioning. 
heat edema. Uh, this happens a lot where you get this mild swelling of their hands and feet during initial exposure and management is just acclimatizing to the temperature. Heat tetany is where you'll have spasms secondary to heat-related hyperventilation. Uh, with respect to management for that, you're just going to move them to a cooler environment and decrease respiratory rate, i.e. rebreathing into a, into a bag. So what I've kind of gone over today is two pretty important topics as we go into the summer months, including drowning and heat-related injuries. The big things with drowning is early resuscitative efforts and getting them out of uh, the water so that they are no longer drowning. This is a silent injury, so kids will not necessarily yell or scream, but they will be vertical and pumping their arms up and down. Uh, as a pediatrician or a pediatric resident or medical student, it is uh, imperative that if you have the skills to get the kid out of the water, you could do that. You could also just rely on the lifeguard and just be available as a resource uh, once the kid is out of the water. Early transfer to the emergency department for evaluation and observation is key. With respect to heat-related injuries, the biggest thing is prevention. So preventing dehydration and causing and creating acclimatization to the environment will prevent a lot of these injuries. So make sure that the kids are staying hydrated and that you're responding to their cues, including feeling hot, dry, or they're having nausea or vomiting. So uh, that's it for today. If you guys have questions, please feel free to email at amandamerildave at gmail.com. This has been a pediatrician in training podcast, season one, episode three, drowning and heat related injuries.